Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest is Leslie Barron-Pitt. Welcome to the show. Hi, how are you doing? You all right? I'm very well, I'm very well. That's very good of you to ask me, as we've just spent the last, let me just check, the last hour. <laughs> hour. Just, 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 I think exercising our vocal cords, I think it's safe to say, Leslie. Little bit, little bit, yeah. My wife's going to be very annoyed, because what's going to happen is... She's going to come back with all the shopping and she's going to send me a text and I'm, I know we're still going to be talking. Well, luckily, so. luckily it's, it's time sensitive and we'll get to that in a bit. But just before we do, now you're a, you're a film writer, as I understand, film critic. So do you want to let the Britflix audience know where they can hear, see, read what you do and about film and stuff? Yeah, um, I've been doing this for a little while now. Um, when I say a little while, way too long. Um, so you can find me... Um, on Twitter at Afro Film Viewer. Mm-hmm. Find me on Instagram where I do like kind of uh, amateur photography, Afro Film Viewer. Um, you can find my podcast at, um, well, you can find one of my podcasts at Hustlers of Culture if you type that in, or um, um, Culture Hustlers on Twitter. Um, and the big one would be um, Fatal Attractions, which is probably the, the thing that a lot of people know me from, which is Fatal, Fatal Attract Pod on Twitter as well. Um, Fatal Attractions podcast. I write for Vodzilla. Um, I've recently written for Film Stories. Uh, shout out to uh, Simon Brew. And I've recently just been published on um, Little White Lies as well. So, yeah, that's that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> so to speak. Well, I think I think that I think that more than qualifies you. What what did you uh, what was your your Little White Lies piece? What what did they publish? Um, re- I've, well, I've I've had two pieces recently. Um, the Last month it was um, uh, Train to Busan Peninsula um, that I I reviewed, which was favourable. It still doesn't have the same punch as the first film, but um, it was interesting. And then I've recently I should be in the next upcoming issue um, for the new Kevin Costner film, Kevin Costner Diane Lane, uh, uh, Let Him Go. Um, which was really good, actually, and I think um, I think it's going to be one of those films where hopefully it will find a place as a kind of neo western, um, which was really enjoyable. Yeah. When you say neo western, does that mean it's a contemporary, or is it a neo western as it's still set in a period, but it's a new film? Um, contemporary. Brilliant. So it's got all the all the tropes of of a western, like really, really, in terms of its visuals and how how things are framed and everything else like that. But it's set in the modern day and it's it's just it's fascinating to watch because it it gives us the implication that that people still kind of live this kind of western life just in these outs these different pockets and outskirts of of america i mean whether or not they do i don't know but it's it was really worth watching 
No, sounds a cracker. Sounds a cracker. Now, we're going to do five great lo-fi, high-themed sci-fi movies with you. You've given me a list of five. And for the listener that's not heard this before, the format's straightforward. We have the five films. We are going to do them in reverse day order. Um, I will now. I will announce them, and then Leslie, as the guest, will be start talking about why he's chosen them under that theme. And hopefully, I can join in that chat. It's not. It's not Leslie's chance to monologue. Although, if he wants to, if you want to, Leslie, I won't stop you. Um, if you've got the S, if you've got your five minute essay prepared, then I'm not going to get in your way. But, <laughs> but I will hopefully have a conversation there. And when the five minutes are up, and um, Pig, who is my friend's dog as I'm calling it, although it's just an iPhone bark, when uh, you can hear that okay, can't you? Yes, I, do. I can. Right, so that will indicate when five minutes are up. Now, in the in the, in the the um, spirit of uh, Mastermind and the like, if you've started, you can finish. Um, but, you know, it's mm-hmm. up to you. You can stop talking and go and wait for me to announce the next film, or you can finish your thought, and we might even run for a few more minutes. The general gist is... We want to try and spend a good even amount of time on all five because I think it's a great subject that you've chosen and I think it's worth exploring them evenly, the top, the, the titles you've done. And I guess we should say there will be spoilers. So the films are listed <laughs> in the show notes. So if you've not seen those films, watch them first because <laughs> they will be spoiled um, in some way, shape or form. And I think the magic of a lot of these films is going in cold. In their twists, so to speak, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, in their twists, but going in cold. I mean, it's like just the old idea of, of, of the, the how 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 unpresupposing they are as movies, and then how big they get from what is literally nothing in some senses. But we'll uh, we'll get to that mm. when we start talking about them. Before we do that, I've got I want to ask you a question about about your film reviewing, and because uh, yeah. because we've talked we've what for the listeners' benefit we've been talking about we've put the world to rights in about an hour. In a very through a very narrow band of the film of the world, but we did put it to rights. And yeah. um, but I'd just be interested to know uh, as a as a little bit of a curveball because obviously everything else is prepared. When you in your in your in your history of writing about films, what film do you remember sort of having a visceral bad reaction to, and then by the end of reviewing it, you kind of because of the purpose of trying to mine over what it was that got that reaction out of you. You ended up respecting the film more, and ended up highlighting it was good. It's sort of good points because you've had to think about how it got under how it got under your skin, so to speak. Anything spring to mind? I wouldn't say it was. Uh, I didn't. I wouldn't say it was bad, um, but um, it follows. Um, I remember watching it follows, and I think I wrote about it on my blog afrofilmviewer.com, um, and I was less. Um, appealed by it than a lot of people and i just remember after watching it i, I went to do a record on another podcast with, with some other folks um and it was in a pub and i sat down and um when i sat down i was like i, I just remember reeling off i was like eh, it's not too bad it's not this it's okay it's fine it's fine um since then i've possibly considered one of the best horror movies of the last 10 years um, and the reason why is because it's so simple and it's so it's so effective in turning around and go, and just having that kind of blue velvet. There's a bad side of bad side of um, 
urban of urban life and there's a good side of urban life and this kind of coming of age between the two of them um but also it just looking at how how can i say this it reframes sex and horror in this really adult and grown-up way and having and and also mortality and it was one of those things as as i'm growing older now um as I'm now, since since seeing it, I've now become married. I'm now on the way to have my first child. Congratulations! And then I'm thank you. Um, and now I'm looking at <laughs> I'm looking at mortality in a very very different way. And then I think that film is really really good at highlighting that kind of sense of mortality um, more than so many other movies. Well, thank you for that because. Just for the list, I just want. I'm always fascinated because it's the it's my favourite part of reviewing is that I go in all guns are blazing to rip a film apart that's really got on me nerves, and then by mm. the end of that that exploration, because when you're writing it down and begin to think about something more and more, as you know, as we do as people reviewing or critiquing films, is that you can't just say I don't like it because that's a subjective opinion. You have to you have to explain yes. what what you don't like about it, which becomes if it's not obvious, if it's just like you've had a gut reaction. <laughs> then you kind of go, once you start unpicking it, you go, oh, it's my fault. It's not the film's fault. And then you begin yeah. to, to pour praise on the film because it's you that's got the problem. And I love that. I love that about, I mean, it's one of my favourite parts about reviewing is that you can, um, I mean, occasionally there are films that deserve a good kicking, and I, but I don't I don't take any pleasure in that and I actively avoid it if I can. Often, I just won't mm. bother. I'd, just, I'd rather not <laughs> review a film than, than give it a kicking because I think the less said about a bad thing, the better. Whereas the more you can ask questions about the interesting, um, the more yeah. you can generate the conversation, which is one you hopefully either have with yourself or with your peers, which is my segue to our conversation about five great lo-fi, hi-fi, hi, five great <laughs> lo-fi, high-themed sci-fi movies. Easy for everyone to yeah. say except me, I think. Um, <laughs> Leslie Byron Pitt, I'm going to start you off in 97 with Q. How is it you know so much about sensors, Renz? Ren, not Renz. It's French. Fine, you're French. I'm asking how you... Ren. Sensor expert. About the right age. I don't believe it. <laughs> this guy's the Ren. The what? He's the Ren. Yeah. So Cube, I decided when I decided to to pick this, I wanted to pick films that were short, um, films that could kind of easy manual, but you can talk talk enough about them. Um, I tr I'll try not to talk too much about uh, about plot in this, but I picked Cube because um, Vincenzo uh, Natali is one of the most interesting film, small filmmakers that no one seems to want to talk about apart from the Canadians, obviously, and, um, and people from the Slash film cast. Um, and I think it all starts here where he, it's just literally a film on where a whole, but uh, I think it's about nine people. No, I think it's a, six. A, a group of people, six people wake up in a, in a cube um, and they end up in different rooms in this cube. And they try and meet each other, but they realize, and you realize very early on from the beginning, there are traps and 
they don't know why they're in there. They all have a certain spe- a particular set of skills. And ultimately, the whole point is about them hopefully trying to work together. But we all know it's this movie, so it's not going to work that way. Um, it's a little bit like a Twilight Zone, an extended Twilight Zone feature. Um, very cartoony um, and, and a very B-movie-like. But what I loved about the movie is taking something how can I say it? He takes something very, very small. There's not a much, there's not a lot to it. I think they just had the same set as this cube and they just redressed the set in every different quote unquote room that they went into. So, every, so it was a different color, different t- color scheme. And um, he gives his characters very kind of, they have a, a certain talent that would probably help them get out of the cube, but they have certain things about them, which will, dismantle the the any sort of harmony that this group could possibly have so one of the characters is a as, as a prison escape artist and he seems to, he knows everything from a very practical sense of um um of things however because he's a lone wolf he doesn't want to actually he just wants to get out of there so he doesn't want to utilize anyone else's um skill set which is really really in- which is interesting because of what happens to him later on um you have one of the ma- one of the strongest characters um, is uh, is called Quinton. Um, is is really quick with the leadership aspect of everything. However, he's very very aggressive and very very toxic in his thought process of th- certain things. And then there's a little political kind of back and forth between him and um, the, the female doctor character in there. You know, you has- know one of the one of the. Um- one of the central things that this this tackles in the human this human condition is is something we were talking about off off record, which is it, which yeah. is reaction to change. I mean, you throw six people in a room that don't know how they got there, then you give you're presenting them with a new reality, and part of yeah. the first act for sure is about how people cope with change. Some people are yeah. rational, some people are emotional, and it's like literally the the cube being what it is, and and knowing what I knowing what I know about change management, you know, you cut a square in quarters, and the four quarters are the change curve, you know, denial, yeah. anger, denial, acceptance, and stuff, and it's like the film is almost structured in that way because, like you say, you've got everyone's got their individual traits, and then as they begin to realize the the, the insurmountable problem. The idea of working together becomes more appealing than it did when at the start, when it was like, "I don't need you." Yeah, leave me to my own <laughs> devices. Interestingly, I didn't know this till preparing for this, but um, Natalie Natale had actually named all the characters after prisons. Yes, like Fort Worth and yeah, <laughs> yeah. Quentin, and Leather, and Holloway. It's amazing. Yeah. It's like I love that little little um, little attention to sort of meta detail within a film about being trapped trapped i mean one of the things i love one of the big things i loved about it one is just how it's framed and blocked Mm. and it's blocked in this way where you where even though it is literally just a cube and almost an empty room it's set in such a way that you can see how certain characters grow dominance in a frame how certain people get smaller in a frame um and you can see how the the position of control changes in nearly every aspect of it um 
<laughs> there you go. There's your five wow. minutes out of that field, your first five. Well, that was really interesting. I was really, <laughs> I really like that. <laughs> it, it be, as somebody I go on and on all the time especially in other podcasts so to have something turn around and punctuate that is good <laughs> well look well you can continue your uh, Vincenzo conversation because he, he directs the next film in chronologically speaking as in releases is Cypher from 2002 what is her name Jack Thursby are you a spy have to deceive other people about what you do for a living i got introduced to cypher via a friend um after speaking after talking about cube and he was a massive massive he was a massive massive film fan um and then he's just more became he became a gamer more than anything else but we like we just liked natalie because he was just a really interesting filmmaker and this is basically james bond um like but via I wouldn't even say pharmaceutical, but corporate corporate espionage um, <laughs> with really, really lo-fi stakes. Um, and I absolutely loved it. And one of the reasons why I loved it is, one, it was Film 4. It was around the time when Film 4 was kind of financing a lot more um, product and they were getting you know stuff out of it. Uh, Michael Andrews, who, um, who did the score for Donnie Darko and uh, went on to make some really interesting um, uh composition uh, musical scores for um like comedies and uh and indies he he scores the music um lucy lou's in there and she's a really really good performance from lucy lou trying to um, be a, fe- a femme fatale and who doesn't like that um but what i what i almost lo- lo- what i loved about the movie is it's just it's again very b-movie like and it's very callbacks to clockwork orange and and they live and dark city um, utilizing things like um, direct marketing brainwashing through these really boring <laughs> seminars, um, and 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 this being a big thing where these two agencies are utilizing this one person and uh, attacking his sense of identity and his sense of self in order to sell things. Basically, that's the way I see it. In order to in, to incorporate data. And we don't know what the data is. We don't know what happens with the data, but it's just these two companies utilizing someone's self-identity to sell or make money or do or gain power from this data. Um, and you look at this is 2002, and you look at where we are now, and I think that's it's, it's very it's, it does what good sci-fi does, and where you look at it, you look at you look at it in the past, and you realize where you are in the future, and you're going, oh, it was ahead of the curve. So is, is this is, is this a dystopian time? Is this set in a near future? Yeah, well, it, it's set in a future, so to speak, and I think it, I, I think it's best to say the near future. Um, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't really have a sense of time or place in in that sense, in that way. But there's certain mechanics in there that make you seem like it's very it's ahead in the, in in the future. Um, I absolutely I it's dated now. It's not as strong um not as strong in terms of certain parts of it as i like um as i like back then um it's a little bit more straight through than i've felt before um but it's still very just kind of enjoyable as this kind of espionage just because it has a sense of vulnerability mm. um there's a sense of vulnerability with the idea that this guy may or may not have a, like this kind of total recall sense of 
what happened to my identity? Am I still this person now that I'm doing certain things? And even though there's there's hints of Bond within that movie, one of the reasons why I'm not a massive Bond fan is um, not the biggest Bond fan, so to speak, is he knows who he is and he never changes through any of these movies as such. Um, you know, the premise of Bond is always that premise of Bond. You always know who Bond is. And he's got this kind of hint of almost invulnerability. Um, whereas here, you have this guy who thinks he could be James Bond and is kind of failing and he doesn't he doesn't seem to know why and one of the reasons he doesn't know why because he has no sense of self so it's this really really interesting dichotomy going on between that reading the notes to the film i've not seen it but looking what people said you know what's what's the the sort of dante's dante's divine comedy and you know helen purgatory sort of elements to this what what's it playing with there um you say divine comedy i think I didn't really get too much notes of that. Okay. Um, I I got more. I, I looked at it more from a almost surface level and looking at these guys being told really boring sermons, and then kind of they, them being fall, falling asleep and being influx with information. Um, but you can you can go down with that kind of Dante's Inferno thing. There was a point in time where um, our lead character kind of goes down. Oh, he goes down into a. Uh, into a place and ah, okay. it is the kind of deepest darkest place and where this information is kind of being stored um it'll be interesting to read where you where you read from to see to try and get that but <laughs> yeah 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 no i'll uh i will we'll, we'll cross-reference that after the uh after the show now we're gonna go to a film now i'd never i'd, I'd forgotten when this come out and it surprised me that uh to learn it came out 2004 which means i was already in london so to me primer which was almost like in 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 sort of new wave of new wave of new wave of cinema was yeah. was the next wave after the tarantinos the linklaters and uh, the kevin smiths it's almost like it took another 10 13 years for there to be something interesting that wasn't in a way you've got the whole kind of sundance phenomena that happened in the 90s that then became yeah. mini the, the dominance of the mini studios and so no longer was that indie spirit so where was it coming from and then out of left field comes this labor of love by uh, written directed by Shane Carruth primer mm -hmm. which you know I, didn't, I mean not since um El Mariachi had I heard a film talked about about its budget as much as anything else and like what have they achieved but um, that's that's the kind of my immediate reaction to it. That's where I think it sits, and it's it is to me. It's like the the twenty first century epitome of where genre can do things that drama's not allowed to do. Because the expression I said to you when we were, when we were setting up was this idea of it's the perfect low production values on screen, high production values in your head. Isn't there some sort of glass or transparent? I don't know of anything that uses a window. Yeah. Irex? Yeah, man. Okay, drop it. I don't know of anything that's not going to leave a gap in the field. But we got to see what's going on in there. How much does that cost? Yeah. What? You want to put my camcorder inside the box? It's so dangerous we can't look into it. If something happens, would you pay me back? 
So we have a slightly negative pressure in the box. So we're ready for the argon. Wait, which one is that? The blue one. Blue one. I weighed it at 77 grams. Set the scale to decagrams, though. I'm showing 7.7 .7 decagrams. We're ready for point. 0.05 liters of argon. Ready? I think you, you summed it up correctly right there. It was just the idea of someone turning around and having the power of concept over everything else that we 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 love about movies, so to speak. Um, I've recently just watched the the Planet of the Apes trilogy, the modern version of the apes trilogy uh recently and i love those movies but the big thing that everyone kind of gained from that was the effects and how lifelike they were and and, and all those aspects of it for for a sci-fi that gets you know that gets in depth and it has some interesting leanings in there um whereas this has none of that and there's these kind of Altman-esque overlaps of really complex dialogue and a timeline that goes all over the place. And you have to keep an eye on what these characters are doing and saying all the time in order to kind of get hold of it. <laughs> and it's, and like at the end of it, like at the end of it, you, you realize how selfish certain people are, how arrogant certain people are. It brings out this humanity in something that's actually really, really complex and difficult to grapple with. But the main conceit of time travel, it kind of nails what what a lot of people would be like. It nails, nails that selfishness aspect of it. It nails the arrogance. It nails the fear. Um, and there's just these brilliant. I'm not really looking at it in terms of how it's how it's framed and how it's shot, but it's just um, the tagline that it came with. Like, what what would we do if it really works? It just it sends everything up and it, it it stays true to that tagline all the way through. And as much as um, Shane Caruth has had his recent troubles, um, his his movie making here there is a there is such a really strong powerful vision in in what he's doing, um, and it's really hard to find. I don't know how as a as a kind of script that he, that he obviously developed he managed to sort of perfect the idea of, I mean, for most of it, you wouldn't even know you were watching a sci-fi movie and then suddenly you realise you're right, you're right slap bang in the middle of one and there's no escaping yeah. it. But for, for large <laughs> tracks of it, if like you talked about paying attention, if you don't, if you don't pay attention to what's, what's happening, and it doesn't mean it'll lose you, but you can you can forget that, you, that you've sit, sat down to watch a, a time-travelling sci-fi movie. Yeah, it's a mumblecore. Well, it's a mumblecore movie before like mumblecore became a thing, mm. and it's this thing on where these guys are talking in these in these hushed tones. And my wife was kind of dipping in and out of the movie, going, "I I don't get it. I don't. I, this is a weird movie." Mm. Um, but there's a there's a line there that I really want to nail before <laughs> before the dog barks. <laughs> Please do. Please do. Um, which I really love. Where this is a great line goes. I haven't eaten since later this afternoon. And, Whoa. <laughs> when, <laughs> and when he says it, you're just turning around and going, "Hang on a minute!" And it's it's done with no fanfare. It's really really you know it's not in a in a bigger movie. 
that would be the line that everyone would kind of pick up on and, and talk about. And, and, and it would be said with this kind of sense of drama at mm. the end of the scene where he kind of just throws it away. Um, and I love that moment. It, it, again, it's this kind of throwaway moment that sums up so much where it's just like, oh, they're playing with some really trippy, heady stuff here. But also, in a really simplistic way, it's playing with the very basic notion of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. It's like, what have we done? Yeah. You know, that's that's yeah. that's the that's the big question <laughs> over this film, isn't it? Is what have we done? And literally running away from yourself or your self self or whatever, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I looked at the timeline before in the past and I'm like, I'm not but I'm I can't be bothered. There's so many and by the end of the film there's so many different of the of the same characters running around trying to fix things. And it's just like I can't he he purposely puts you in a position to make sure that you can't um, that that you're you're like the characters and you you're struggling to keep up. And when I first watched it, I didn't like the movie. Hmm. Um, I wasn't a big fan of the movie. Um, and I've realised one of the reasons why is because I went in there with the idea that I was smarter than the movie. And I think that's something that a lot of people kind of need to throw away sometimes and just go in there with the idea that you're kind of an empty vessel. And see what the movie can throw at you. And what I you did pick the, up from I, it. Did, I did the same mistake with uh, Legetti, where I was at a class and oh, we yeah. were shown it. And I'll finish off what I'm saying now because the dog's back. Yeah. And we were shown <laughs> it, and I was like, because the, the the teacher was billing it as this is a wonderful piece of sci-fi. Its influence is you know forever and ever and keeps going, and it referenced mm-hmm. Twelve Monkeys and yada yada yada. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. Put it on, and then it's like this. this <laughs> You know, I'm being this, like, you know, too cool for school about what's good and what's bad. It's like, I'll decide what's good. And <laughs> and so you're watching it in a classroom environment, which is already loaded, isn't it, in terms of watching a film? Because some authority figures just said, watch this, it's important. And you're like... yeah. And you can't be help but be underwhelmed by that experience in a, in a, in a kind of, if, if you're being immature like I was where you're basically trying to fight the opinion of someone who's who you've not even got to judge yet. And then <laughs> it was two weeks later when I'm still thinking about the film that I conceded that he was right. <laughs> yeah. But it's important It's important to realise that what he said was, watch it, it's important, not watch it, it's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's that's always the biggest problem with, uh, like, you... Uh, in films, in film studies, we all go in, especially in the first year of film studies, they'll plonk you down, give you Citizen Kane, and they go, this is important because it's been considered the best film ever made. And then your personal tastes are always fighting against Citizen Kane for the rest of your fucking life. <laughs> um, no, totally. And then you actually, <laughs> and you actually sit down and realise, watching it, it's like, oh, important. <laughs> in terms of value as opposed to in terms of your personal taste and whether or not it's quote unquote good. Um, and it's, it's, it's just unfortunate. And again, I think primer is going to be one of those kind of movies. We're still talking about it now. It's 2004, 16 years. Indeed. Well, let's, let's hop, skip and a jump three more years to 2007. And I think I saw this. I'm, I'm almost damn sure I saw this at the Curzon Soho. Um, I'm pretty sure I did. This is um, Fermat's room, which is, hmm? I mean, you, I mean, I was so glad when I saw this on the list. It is just, it's just a joy because it's, it's like a bit in a way. It's sort of, it's like the next step on from what what you might get your heckles up about Primer in the sense of 
you might try and start watching it thinking I'm cleverer than the film. But but yeah. actually, let the film happen and let it be clever is, to me, what makes Fermat's room so bloody good. Mira. Hace más de dos meses, el señor Román Naranjo compró cuatro prensas hidráulicas. Yeah, so four, four mathematicians locked in a room and they need to get out before... Um, if you've seen Star Wars, the uh, the, the the garbage truck, um, the garbage um, room where the 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 room slowly slowly encasing and closing in on them, Perfect and they need to kind of, yeah, <laughs> they need to kind of uh, solve all these puzzles to get out of the room as quickly as possible. Um, but of course, it's not as easy as that. There's, a, there's some interpersonal and personal things going on that we find out as the film progresses. Um, I picked this because I looked at the first, uh, my first choice, and going behind the fourth wall here, um, I looked at my first choices of movies, and I sat there and I go, you know what? We need something in here that isn't English English speaking. I mean, something a little bit more international. And I had a choice of either this or Time Crimes. And a part of me wanted to pick Time Crimes. Um, but that film gets talked about enough, um, even though, you know, as a cult as a cult film. I wanted to bring something up like this because the, the, the two directors went on to do, I think one went on to kind of TV comedies. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a really interesting uh, career after this. Yeah. Um, someone else, I think the other one went in, into films, but... Um, different types of movies um and i just wanted to pick it's just this kind of stolen moment in time of interesting just again concepts over anything else just to bring out all these little personal values and to and the idea of asking what's important to people um at the end of this uh, again at the end of this movie there is a reason why certain people are doing certain things and a character turns around and goes maybe that's not as important as you think it is. And I absolutely love that. And it's this idea of these guys being mathematicians as well and realizing that there may be like human emotion may be more beneficial than trying to find everything else out. And it's this element of um, Pi, um, the film Pi, um, where by the end of Pi, the only way to, to be completely happy is to almost probably lobotomize yourself. <laughs> um, this doesn't go as... Igno- ignor- ignorance is bliss. Yeah, um, it doesn't go as um, as deep into that. But like like Pi, like Brazil, there's this idea that, you know, love and human emotion may be more beneficial than trying to find out all the sequels of the universe because we're humans and maybe we should know all the sequels. I like, I like the-, the way that it plays with unusual egos because we're used to the kind mm. of alpha male heroic ego or anti-hero that has their downfall because of their ego but the notion of a of an academic being almost alpha in the way that they behave that their knowledge and, and their skill in their head is somehow yeah. like a shield and a sword in the normal sense of, in, in 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 normal senses yeah it's it's a <clears> bit <throat> like 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 doctor who hmm. um where like the re- let's make the doctor the hero and that idea of having uh, uh, empathy being the reason why people follow someone like doctor who and i think there's something really interesting to see here where you 
I'm trying to think of another example of that. And I know in my head there would have another example of that. But I think what you say is well, it's is like true, it's, it's like ha- the idea of the we we get given a cerebral challenge, and actually from yeah. the cerebral challenge, like you say, we discover that the answer isn't seven, but the answer is think with your heart more. I mean that's yeah. that's that's a, that's that's not a mathematician's answer, is it? But that's where the storyteller no. wants them to go, and yeah, ups the ante somewhat to make them get there. <laughs> but I think well, I think it, it it does what I think other sci-fi's do, where it turns around and takes a lofty concept um, to make us realise more about something in, like, insular about ourselves. And I think that's and I think that's why I wanted to place it on here as a sci-fi. Um, um, because that's ultimately what some of the best sci-fis do. You, you think of so many sci-fi movies, and it's all about taking these big, lofty, conceptual ideas to make us realise something about ourselves. Um, from Blade Runner to to this, to especially our next, the next movie that we're going to talk about mm. afterwards, which is, you know, it, my favourite of all the five. Um, but it is about the idea of kind of finding and like revealing our humanity. That was a very poignant end just before the dog barked. <laughs> but I think I think before we get on to the last one, um, I think what 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 it's great and what we're unpacking here is, and I, and I, I mean, because because you've gone for the kind of low-fi, high idea sort of sci-fi theme, is that it exemplifies why genre is such an important part of cinema because. It can Trojan horse so much in without it being up front and 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 you particularly being ready for it. So you might go, yeah, there's there's computers, there's the dystopian future, and you're kind of wowed at the at the thing that's not real. And then as that begins to fall away, you're just left with people. And and I think these first certainly the first certainly um, cube. And Fermat's room play to this, and uh, Primer, Primer and Cipher less so, but certainly Fermat's room and and Cube play to just the basic idea of drama, which is we're all looking for people to trust and the truth. And when you throw us together into a situation, that's our instinct as humans. Obviously, the surface is the challenge in front of us, but actually, our, our kind of almost like fight or flight instinct is there's hope. Because that's how the species survives, <laughs> you know. Yeah. When the first when the first people were on Earth, they didn't have a shop and they didn't, you know, so they had to do something. So the fight or flight <laughs> thing about there's got to be more to this than meets the eye, and obviously these yeah. films do that really well. Which is why your fifth choice is um, is really interesting because in a way, it kind of breaks some of them rules, and we'll get into that when when we've uh, when we've unpacked it. But we're going to look at. Uh, 2013's Coherence, written and directed by James Ward. Uh, is it Burkitt, you pronounce it? You know, I've made some, some choices uh, that I'm stuck with. I'm, I'm stuck here. <laughs> I'm like the dead cat, right? This whole night we've been worrying. Uh, there's some dark version of us out there somewhere. What if we're the dark version? I think it's really, really hard to make a movie where the main character is selfish, like so selfish and unsettling and slightly 
dislikable because of the choices they make and still be engaged with them. I think it's really, really hard, I th- especially nowadays. I think we're, we're very good with good, bad, white, black, very kind of straight down the line, especially in more, more mainstream movies. Um, and this really complicates things. Um, the reason why I think it's my favorite is because it's so unsettling and it's unsettling by not doing very much. Um, and it just presents its premise and it presents the idea of these kind of passive aggressive middle-class Americans, coastal liberal elite kind, kinds. And you've got Brenda, um, Nicholas Brendan in there kind of taking the mick out of himself as um, Xander from Buffy and, and also kind of leading into some of his um, troubles um, in terms of drinking, um, which I find quite interesting. Um, and, and very raw um but the main character of coherence and so much of the, of this film hinges on the main character of, the, of coherence in the in the last act um doing something which is kind of almost reprehensible um in terms of what they want because it's so selfish um and it's this film and where these a group of people come together for a dinner party and suddenly there's a comic coming out um been um, going over them and because of that it kind of opens up this kind of parallel dark space um this uh, universal dark space and when they leave and go into that um into that space they end up in the same place but not and there's a parallel universe and there's all these different dimensions of <laughs> of it's phenomenal it's phenomenal the way that it splices time and space up. And the only way you can keep, uh, you, you notice anything is by looking at um, all the kind of motifs that people bring in or may or, or, or swap around. And there's a really killer moment in it where characters go, leave, come back. And then it's not until very later on, you realize they're not the characters that you thought they were. <laughs> And, and and for for many many reasons. Well, that that and whole that whole sequence of the when the power, you know, we've had the comet. People have shown, you know, there's something weird going on. A couple of phones have cracked, and and then the lights go out and there's no power. And then down the street, there's a place with a light on, and that's it. And that and then two people go check it out. And then after that, the the no, no reality is ever the same, is it? And you again a little bit like Ferment's room in terms of the just. The, the multiple, no, not, no, not like Fermat's room, like Primer more than anything else. The multiple aspects of what's, or, 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 and implications of what's going on once they enter that room and why certain things are happening and everything. It's just scary. And the idea of a character going, uh, kind of navigating in between that just to make sure that there's a, uh, to, to bring their own sense of happiness. The great, I find the, that interesting. The great thing about the choice of the the kind of the middle class liberal liberally sort of having a dinner party is that rather than be freaked out and scared, I mean, I'm, I'm this is one thing I remember about when I reviewed it is that even all this time passing by is that instead of it being hysterical teenagers who are clueless because they're just tropes of what it's like to be young. They've all yeah. got their own mind. So this becomes like a corporate team building exercise. It's like the logic is not there, but yeah. they try and solve the lo- <laughs> they try and solve the logic because they're adults. So there's, yeah. there's there's like no immediate threat until obviously it plays its hand later on. I mean, that scene when he arrives with the metal lockbox that's got eight photographs, the numbers on the back with their pictures on and a bait and a and then the curveball of just the table tennis paddle. You're like it's 
it's such a clever <laughs> moment of mystery, but like everything's there as well. That all the clues of what you're going to get paid off later are in that thing, but it's yeah. so absurd as a as a setup. <laughs> you're not going to guess it unless you've watched the film already. No, and what I love is you you watch something similar in The Invitation, and you watch something similar in Get Out, and they've kind of jumped on, jumped onto this idea of of playing around with certain things and. What I love about Coherence most is, I think you're right, it is very team building and everything else like that. Go on, finish your thought. But the problem is emotion. And it's it's the fact that their emotions get tangled up in everything that they do means that they can never look at it with a sense of, with the logic that they want to because they have their own kind of longings and wishes and and erratic elements to each and every character. The one thing I absolutely adore about the the, the last choice of the of a character in the film is the only reason they do it is for their own sense of happiness and well being. It's got it's not for the good of everything else. It's for what she feels she's lost in her reality at one point in time, and she thinks she finds it. She thinks she finds it again later on uh, at one point, and then. Like one of the scariest moments is she's interacting with someone and she gives a hug and they're having this conversation and then she she slowly she slowly realizes that is not the same person that she thinks she's talking to and he just kind of walks away kind of David like like a day like um Laura Dern in, in Blue Velvet kind of just back into the shadows instead of out of the shadows and it's I think that's fascinating and it's this kind of usurp of suburbia it's I think it's really good. I mean, I don't know if you know this, but I was looking at the trivia stuff on IMDb, and instead of a script, the actors would receive a small paragraph on a piece of paper with their goals for the day, and then they, yeah. and then they improvised. <laughs> so when things started to go awry, there was fear and excitement for real, so like banging on windows and stuff like that. So you know, almost like a game of, uh, like a game of truth. Really, it's like I'll show you your truth. I'll show you your truth if you show me mine. If you show me yours, kind of thing, and and I love that idea. I mean, that's almost like a almost like the shot of film, like a, an improv actor's workshop. You know, it's like the Blair Witch Project. Yeah, it's it's like, just like the Blair Witch Project, where the, where it's the idea of going, what's what can we mine out of people by giving like by giving them limitations, and it's it's like Lars von Trier's um, the Five Objections, all the Five Objections, I think it is, um, where it's the idea of or Dogma 95 in general, um, where you just turn around and go, right, we'll have a concept, but what we're going to do is limit you so we can see what you what you will do and what you can get out and extrapolate from everything. And I think that's and that's fascinating. That's like fantastic filmmaking. And it's this and just to put a you know to put a cap on it, it's not the most it's got a very scuzzy aesthetic. It's all very like store-bought cameras and and like everyone's blocked on the edge of the frame and and there's there's not much to that aspect of it visually it's not the the most interesting in that sense but it allows all these actors to act and and get something really strong out of it and by the end of the movie um you just find yourself exhilarated and unsettled and i think if it in a different world um 
in a different world where it was made a little bit more palatable for quote unquote mainstream tastes or, or, or something along those lines, it would be a, a water cooler movie because for me, it's just like, what would you do in that sense? What would, you know, you know what would you do if you had a, a, if you were in a relationship that had broken up and you see a chance to be happy or what would you do if, um, knowing full well that you've done something heinous in the past, would you allow someone to know certain information, knowing that it goes across <laughs> like time and space and it's been done? But, like... but you see, the fact you're asking these questions goes back to that point you were making about Fermat's room is that, is that the, 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 the sort of framework of the situation is just there, it's just there like a MacGuffin. It's not really that important because it's how people respond to that situation that's important almost like in a way that um you know the paul schrader's view on 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 noir, film noir is that the how is much more important than the what you know you know how you get there not what you get to it's like in a way it's it's like however these films end often it doesn't really matter because the 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 intrigue and the mystery of the of the false the false information the real information the obtuse stuff the absurd stuff is all presented to humans you know, there's no cyborgs yeah. at play here. This is like you and it could be you and me in any one of these scenarios that, we, that we've that we've mapped yeah. out, being presented with the same problem, and we'd have our own set of responses, which we're, we're like 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 all good film, I suppose. We we're either going with or we're going. What are you doing that for? <laughs> well, look, sir, uh, we've uh, we've come to the end of it. We've we've let me just do a recap of the film choices you have made. So we did five great lo-fi, high-themed sci-fi movies, which I think is actually a haiku poem. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not the title of a show. Um, we did 97's Cube, 2002's Cypher, uh, 2004's Primer, and 2007's Fermat's Room, and then closed on 2013's Coherence. They were a wonderful selection of films, and it's been a pleasure shooting the breeze with you about them. Um, let's remind people after this podcast if they've tuned in for this where else can they find you um best way to find me is via twitter um via instagram as afro film viewer mm-hmm. um that's what the name of my blog afrofilmviewer.com um i also do a podcast called fatal attractions where we look at 80s and 90s and um uh 80s and 90s um erotic thrillers and but we also branch out and do way more so species is in there for some reason <laughs> um and showgirls um we i also do a, po- a podcast with my friend hugh kenneth david called um hustlers of culture right um where we talk um we talk about um film and tv and all sorts mostly film um from a perspective of uh, a black guy from Buckinghamshire and um, uh, a Sri Lankan who has lived all over this this, this earth, <laughs> um, and it is just about um, looking at something through a diaspora lens. What did you last look at on that podcast? The last one we looked at was the the last one that hasn't been released yet was uh, Once Upon a Time in um, in Hollywood, but the last one we did was Black Hat. The last one that's been released is Black Hat by Michael Mann. Okay. Um, and we felt that we felt that Black Hat was really maligned when it came out, and there was a lot of people turning around and saying, "Oh, it's 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 not believable. I don't believe it's plausible," and and everything. And I'm um, me and Hugh 
watch that film again and again and again and go, well, it's coming true, isn't it? Um, <laughs> maybe not in that in that way, but just that still idea of hacking and globalization and and certain aspects of that we it just feels very close to us um so we found ourselves looking at black hat we recently did an interview with peter weber mm-hmm. who did um uh, girl with the pearl earwing that was really really lovely um and we do we do all sorts of stuff so the one before that was a star is born the modern version of a star is born we just look at things in a different lens and we look at things after they come out and then so got so your fate so your fatal uh, what's it called fatal Fatal Attractions. Fatal Attractions. Uh, what um, Fatal Attractions podcast? What 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 grey eighties erotic thriller is the most problematic that you've come that you've gone back and looked at when you looked at through twenty looked through twenty first century eyes? Anything by Brian De Palma. <laughs> really? Anything by Brian De Palma. Um, yeah, uh, Body Double um, and Dress to Kill. Um, Body Double's not too bad. Um, uh, this is not me saying I don't like these movies. Um, but Dress to Kill um, is has got these has got elements of, of of trans conversations now, which I don't. I've dated very badly. Um, I think a lot of the other ones um, that we've watched since are quite interesting in the sense of sometimes it's really interesting to see if a, a woman has has been a screenwriter. Um, Sometimes it's interesting to see if um, a woman is the smartest person in the room. So, you know, so you've got stuff like, um, obviously, not fatal attraction, um, basic instinct. And I think one thing that I think people seem to forget or want to ignore is that Sharon Stone holds all the cards in that movie, especially as it being a kind of noir influence. Um, and I always find it quite interesting to rewatch and watch and watch again. Um, it was a film. It was that. a film that cheapened itself by making making a lot of news and about her wearing no knickers. It kind of got in the way of yeah. what the film actually does. Yeah, very much so. Um, there is a there is one of the movies that um, we we watched very early on, um, Poison Ivy, um, Poison Ivy, which was. With Drew Barrymore, I think. Yes, if it I is. can yes, be, it is. Yes, yeah. Yes, it is. Um, and one of the things I found quite interesting is I, it was, I think it was written and directed by a woman, um, and I can't remember. Unfortunately, off the top of my head, I can't remember the um, the, the director and writer's name. But it was really interesting to. And in fact, I'm actually going to have a look just to see because you know. Um, so yeah, Cat Shear um, was the was the director of Poison Ivy and the screenplay was by Kat Shearer and Anthony Rubin. And it's really interesting to see that movie through now at this point in time, through the eyes of, uh, through modern eyes, but also through the eyes of the fact that there's, there's, there's a gender reading in there. And I'd be, I'd be really interesting to see what other it's one of those. It's one of those things because it wasn't one of the bigger names that we've done. A lot of people don't really bring it up, but it'd be really interesting to see who st- who still likes it. Um, if there's an audience for something like that now, um, if it we were kind of cold on it, but I think there's there's something to be said about it. So, 
I'll put links in the show notes to all the avenues that they can see and hear you as a as a film writer or podcaster. And it just gives me to say thank you very much for giving me your time on the Britflix podcast. This was amazing. Thank you. Yeah, it was really good. money and transform your home with new appliances now at menards we offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection ready to take home today check out top appliance brands including KitchenAid, maytag whirlpool amana and criterion upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at menards shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at menards.com save big money at Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. 